You know, we're finishing our series today called The Church Has Left the Building, and I am back in the building. So you can feel good. It's still here. And all of us are looking forward to being back in the building. I know that we're all excited about that time when that happens. But while the church has left the building, we we don't want to come back the same. You know, we've been walking through a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy. Paul finds himself in prison and Timothy is pastoring a church that Paul started. Paul has written this letter to Timothy about how to keep the mission moving forward. And today we come to the last words of Paul in this letter to Timothy. Paul is doing what looks like a roll call of people that were in the church. Paul gives some information about each of these people that both he and Timothy knew. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. Like you remember roll call, don't you? Lots of different ones that we had over the years. You know, generally the first one we experienced is when we started school. It was the first thing that happened every single day when class started. The teacher will call your name and you would respond, let her know that you were there. You know, I had a friend named Eddie in high school who always responded differently. You know, instead of saying present or here like most normal people, he would say president. And then he began to take it a step further. He would respond vice president or alderman or congressman or secretary of state. He always responded with some legislative office. You know, in a roll call, we all have to respond. Otherwise, we're going to be counted as absent. You see, the thing about a roll call is it's intended to require a response. Now, now when we come here to the building, we don't do a formal roll call. We don't call your name and see if you're here. We're not going to call your name out unless we're doing contact tracing, and that's a different story. (laughs) But what if when you get back, there was a roll call and you had to respond? And the way that you responded was what had changed, what was different in your life from when this pandemic started? Like what would be different about you than last February? What changes have been made in your life that make you better through this pandemic? What growth have you seen? What priorities have changed? What character qualities have you adopted? What habits have you started or stopped? I would hate for us to go through months of having our lives completely disrupted, of leaving the building and nothing changes if we just tried to pick up where we left off, that we didn't allow God to open the door to our hearts and rearrange some things, it'd be wasted if we don't respond. When we get back, how would you respond to the roll call? Now we're gonna take a look at some of the people in Paul's roll call to Timothy. And because Paul is referring to different people, we're gonna have different people teach through the end of Paul's letter to Timothy and look at some of the characteristics of their lives. And we're going to walk away with four distinct challenges today. We're going to paint these pictures of how we all can change. You, me, everybody that will help us to be the kind of people that we all want to be. Let me pray before we go any further. God, we're grateful that we have an opportunity to change. We have an opportunity to be better. We have opportunity to see the new that you want to do in our lives. And God, we know that uh, our church will only be different as each of us individually are different. God, as we increase our urgency, Lord, as we look at the mission you've given us, that we live out as sent ones, as we're true to your word, God, that you would just help us during these last weeks, hopefully, of being quarantined. God, that we would be better. We would be different. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Paul writes to Timothy and as he's ending this letter, he says this, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. You know, we see that Demas deserted Paul because he loved the world too much. You know, he had other priorities. So Paul is not happy with him. 
Crescens and Titus left Paul to go to other churches, possibly to be pastors. So they actually had good reasons to leave. So Paul finds himself with only Luke by his side. He tells Timothy, do your best to come soon. Do your best literally means swiftly. Soon means quickly. So Paul is saying, swiftly, quickly, get here. Come to me. So it seems like Paul really wants Timothy to get to him, doesn't it? Now, what Paul is trying to convey to Timothy is this sense of urgency, now, priority, intentionality, importance, immediacy, urgency. He doesn't want Timothy to just think about coming when he gets around to it. He doesn't want him to just come when it's convenient. He's not asking Timothy to come when it fits his schedule. He's saying, make it fit your schedule. He's saying, make it a priority. He wants Timothy to feel this sense of urgency that this cannot be put on the back burner. Paul, even though he was the most powerful spiritual giant in the New Testament, knows that he needs people. He feels deserted. He feels alone. He feels weak. He feels left out. He feels forgotten. He needs people. Do you feel a little deserted these days? Certainly you feel a little alone. You may feel forgotten by people you haven't seen in a while. Even if you're an introvert, you want to be around some people. Now that things have started opening up a bit, I think we can, we can see how thirsty people are to get together. I think if we could answer the roll call when we get back with one characteristic of how we're to be different, that it would be that we all display a sense of urgency about gathering together. We need to display a sense of urgency about gathering together. You know, there's two questions I get whenever I run into somebody or talk to them on the phone or maybe get a text with them. They ask me a question about church. The first one is always this, when are we getting back together? Like, when are we gonna get to see each other? When are we gonna sit in these chairs again? Now, the second question I get is how is giving? which is kind of funny, but I think we all know how important that is. And, and these are the two questions that I wake up with every single day trying to help us all answer. You know, there's a saying that goes like this, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think that, that what's happening during this experience of pandemic and quarantine and social isolation is we, we probably took gathering together for granted, if we're honest. We looked at it as something that we could do when it was convenient or something that's nice when it happens that we'd miss when it doesn't happen, but, but we probably didn't necessarily have a sense of urgency. And if we're not careful, what can happen is that meeting on Sunday becomes optional if it fits our schedule, if it works out, if I don't have anything else planned. Paul is saying that there needs to be this urgency about being around the people who can make us better, the people who can keep us on mission. We realize now how important that it is that we gather together Listen, we've enjoyed online church. I personally like speaking to live people instead of a camera, even though our camera guys are so good looking. But it's kind of interesting to not have to be anywhere on a Sunday. But, but we realize this isn't exactly what's the best for the long-term mission to elevate the name of Jesus. And I hope that this experience has increased the urgency in your life, the importance, the priority that we feel the need to get back together. You know, when Debbie and I got married, the pastor read a passage out of Ecclesiastes chapter four, and it said this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has nobody to pick him up. And if two lie together, one can keep the other warm. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We know that we are more effective together. 
What we see in the life of Paul, what is true for all of us is that other people are important in our lives. We need to have this urgency about being around people that share our mission. We have a mission and the most effective way that we can do it is to be able to be together. I hope that when we come back and the role is called, we bring with us a sense of urgency to be together. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for my ministry. The church has left the building. The past several weeks, we've been challenged to be a part of a church wherever we go. We've been challenged to get a quarantine coffee with someone. We've been challenged to invite someone over that doesn't look like us. We've been challenged. Paul's last words to Timothy challenged him one last time. Get Mark, bring him with you. When we're able to come back to the church building, who are you going to bring with you? Notice what Paul said. He didn't say invite. He didn't say ask. He didn't say to call or text someone. Paul told Timothy to bring Mark. Go over to his house. Knock on the front door. Tell Mark you are coming to see him and he needs to come as well. Don't take no for an answer. Get him in the car with you. Bring him. Go one major step past the invitation. Show up and bring Mark. Who is your Mark? Who needs to walk through the doors of Stone Creek, become filled with hope, joy, and love, and leave a completely new person? Maybe it's your husband. Maybe you need to have a tough conversation with him and tell him that you're tired of coming to church alone. Maybe it's your neighbor your teenage children, your coworker, your childhood friend, it's time to bring someone back with you. Think back to the time you first came to church. Did you just show up by yourself because you received an invitation? Your parents probably brought you. Your friend kept pestering you. Your spouse drove by and kept inviting you to church. Your kids may have convinced you to come. Most likely someone brought you here. Man, it's so much easier going somewhere with someone than just showing up alone. But why should you bring them? Number one, I hope you want them to fall in love with Jesus like you have. But number two, Paul says Mark will be very useful for ministry. Ministry cannot stop with you. You need help. We need help. The church needs help. We need more people willing to sign their life up for the mission Jesus gives to you. Your mark can and will reach different people than you. Your mark has different abilities, giftings, and tools they can bring to the table. Bring your mark. Watch them fall in love with Jesus. Be amazed at how Jesus uses them to continue his ministry. Samaje just needed a place to relax. He, his mother, and his two sisters lived in a small apartment just across the, tree, uh, the street from the church I pastored at in Texas. He wanted a warm meal someone to give him attention. A couple weeks went by and I didn't see him, so I gave him a call. Hey man, where have you been? I would love you to see, I would love to see you this week at church. I've been busy, he said. A couple days later, it was time for church and I pulled up into his apartment complex, called him and told him I was ready for him. He wasn't expecting me. We went to church together. 
Samaje came back to church. He re-engaged. He surrendered his life to Jesus and he even got baptized. He began to serve students in the middle school ministry. And I know Jesus is still using him for ministry today. He called me several weeks ago. I hadn't spoken to him in years. He was my mark. Church, look right at me. Let's not come back the same. Let's not just come back with our family and our church body. Come back with someone who desperately needs to experience the power and the love of Jesus. Marks are all around you. Have confidence Jesus will go before you and be with you. Don't allow the fear of rejection to cripple God's call for your life. I believe you and I are one invite and one bring away from unleashing the presence of God in someone else's life. The church has never been closed like this in our lifetime. When the church opens again, it will be the easiest time to bring someone. When a new restaurant opens, people flock to it. When the Avalon opened, people traveled hundreds of miles to see it. When Stone Creek reopens, people all around will be excited, expectant, and they'll be ready. It will be a new thing. People, will, people want what they can't have. And right now, people can't go to church. Let's capitalize. Let's use this to our advantage. They just need someone to bring them. Let's watch hundreds of people fall in love with Jesus. Watch them use them to change the lives of other people and change the world. Do your best to come to me. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Church, we better come back prepared to be sent. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. First off, someone needs to get a hold of Tychicus's parents and ask them what in the world is wrong with them. Did they hate their child? Like who in their right mind names their kid Tychicus? You're just asking for your boy to get punched in the face. I digress. This little verse, six words, 26 letters, should massively reframe how we see church when we walk back through those doors. We gotta stop just going to church when we have been sent to be the church. We are the sent ones. It's the biblical narrative. Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Jesus, all sent ones. I, I think about John 20, 21, where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This isn't optional. It's our identity. This is the fabric of Christianity. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's how Christians live. Sent. Hey, we believe this, that we are all called to live more sent than we were living when we come back to church. But we specifically believe that many of you are called and needed to be sent to help us launch Elevate City this fall. Like I can't help but wonder, who was this Tychicus? What was his story? Where was he from? 
What must he have been like? I mean, we know biblically that he was sent to hand deliver letters from the Apostle Paul that today are known as the biblical books of Ephesians and Colossians. I want for you to try to imagine for a second, not knowing what we know from those books, not knowing about the armor of God, not knowing that Jesus has torn it down the dividing wall of hostility not knowing that we are saved by grace through faith, not knowing that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, not knowing that we are adopted in the family of God, not knowing that we've got an inheritance in heaven that is waiting on us, not knowing the surpassing supremacy of our King Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who by and for and through all all things were created. Imagine not knowing that. We wouldn't know it without Tychicus. It's a critical life being a carrier of a message. Like I wanna try to put into perspective for you what Tychicus was sent to do. Tychicus would have walked 360 Roman miles. Dusty, scorching, brutal miles miles full of vandals, robbers, murders. And I want you to do it. I want you to know that boy didn't do it in some Nikes, okay? He did it in Birkenstocks. 360 miles in Birkenstocks, all to board a ship, one without a motor, mind you. And he got upon this ship where he would cross the 353 miles of the intense Adriatic Sea so that he could walk eight more miles to cross the Isthmus of Corinth, just to get on another ship to cross the Aegean Sea for Asia Minor, 250 miles away, where he would then take a six mile ferry ride across the Gulf of Latmos so that he could then walk the final leg of his Roman journey 132 miles away, all to deliver a letter. And I'm just asking you to hop in your comfy car, cruise a few exits down Highway 400 so that a generation can wake up to the love of Jesus. Someone needs to hear this. We gotta stop settling for comfy seats when the call is to be sent. We need some sent ones. Paul in the book of Colossians writes this about Tychicus in chapter four, verse seven. He says, Tychicus, I tell you, Tychicus will tell you about all of my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. We need some sent ones that are willing to tell a generation not how we are, but who we are. That we're some Stone Creek people, that we're some Jesus people, we're some grace people, some love people who have shown up so that they can see the greatness of our God so that they can know what we know from Colossians and Ephesians and the gospel that God is for them and that God loves them and that God has not given up on them. I pray that someone today hears the roll call of our God echoing from Isaiah 6, 8, where God asks, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? 
And I pray that someone will respond just as Isaiah did. Here I am, Lord. Send me all go. I'll go for the sake of a generation. I'll go to make Jesus famous. I'll go so that the gospel doesn't stop with me. I'll go so that this hurting and that this broken and that this divided world will know that Jesus' love is real. I will get up and I will be sent. Do your best to come to me soon. For Damas in love with the present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescentus has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Paul's at the end of his life. He's in prison in Rome and his trial's not looking good. He knows his time is almost over. He's lived a good life. He's fought the good fight. He's changed the world forever and he's done more for the kingdom than we could ever comprehend. But what does he want Timothy to do for him? What is he asking for? He wants a coat and some books. Now, I don't know about you, but in this moment, I'm pretty sure I'd be asking Timothy to grab me a whole lot more than just a blazer and some scrolls. I mean, can I get a ribeye? Hey, Timothy, yo, can you grab me a pillow? Maybe get, get me some clippers. I need that quarantine haircut. Can I get a flask or anything? I mean, come on. And not to mention this cloak and these writings were more than 600 miles away. Are you telling me that no one within a 600 mile radius could help this guy out? See, if there's one thing that Paul made very clear to Timothy and to you and to me in this letter and through his life is that we should never graduate from growing to know Jesus more. I love how the preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he talks about the reality of Paul in this situation and how he's already inspired and yet he wants to study. He's been preaching for at least 30 years and yet he wants his books. He's seen Jesus in the flesh and yet he wants to know him more. He's had a wider experience of life than most, and yet he wants even greater understanding. He's written a majority of the New Testament, and up to this point, he just wants to read more of these writings. See, Paul knew the things of God unlike anything, and yet in his final few moments alive, he longs to know Jesus more. Church, if we wanna be changed, that's the kind of passion we need to have for growing to know Jesus more. See, because the reality is, is that we aren't chained in a prison cell. We aren't dying tomorrow and our access to the Bible and to books are instantaneous. But somewhere along the way, we get to a point where we just stop. We stop longing to know God deeper, stop seeking to find Jesus as we move through scripture and solitude. We, we cut our Bible time in the morning shorter and shorter. And then we wonder as though as why we feel like God is distant or silent. And could it be that many of us have simply gotten to the point where we think that we've just graduated from growing? Just like you graduate from high school or college and then somehow just stop seeking to learn and grow. Like, have you stopped? Have you specifically stopped seeking to know God more through his word? I know I've been there. Scrolling through news articles and posts online as if they have more to offer me than this, than this book right here. 
See church, I'm here to tell you that the call of following Jesus is a call to never stop growing. The next generation should have no shortage of spiritual fathers and mothers and giants of the faith to look to for inspiration because we should be a people who never graduate from growing. Yes, Jesus invites us to come as we are, but we're not called to stay as we are. God wants us to grow in our knowledge and our devotion and our understanding and our affection and our love for Jesus. See, the goal of reading the Bible is to know Jesus and to begin to understand more of who he's called us to be and how he's called us to live. See, if you wanna become a better father or mother and have something of value to pass on to your kids, you gotta read this. That's why Paul in this letter reminds young Timothy over and over again, the importance of scripture. He says that it completes us and it equips us for every good work. You see, so many of us wanna be changed, but we don't wanna be challenged. We wanna be called out to do great things, but we don't wanna be caught up in the greatness of God. We wanna see healing in the hearts of our brothers and our sisters, but we're afraid to see the brokenness of our own hearts. We wanna experience the love of the person of Jesus without ever having to slow down and live in the pace of Jesus. See, the reality is that you will never have more time today and there will never be a point in your life where God is wanting you to retire from graduating or, or from growing in who he is and his love that he has for you. See, why was Paul so concerned with studying this book at his point in his life? Because he knew that as long as there was breath in his lungs, there was room in his heart to know Jesus more. Is there breath in your lungs today? Then there's room in your heart to know Jesus more. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You know, I love that Paul writes that through his loneliness, even through being forgotten, even through being rejected and deserted, the Lord stood by him, the Lord strengthened him. And I've heard story after story about how through this difficult time, God has been so faithful. I've heard people who lost their jobs, but are finding a way financially to get through it. I heard of people whose marriages were struggling and their marriages are now actually better. I've heard of people who were able to reconnect with their kids, spend some time with them, reestablishing some broken relationships. You know, I've heard of people who were spiritually disengaged and God has revived and restored them during this time. And in the midst of all the chaos, I've seen, heard, and participated in healthy racial conversations to bring healing to our country. You know, Paul says that the Lord stood by him for a very specific reason. And that reason was so that all the Gentiles could hear the message of the grace and the love and the majesty of Jesus. You see, God's not just standing with us so that we can get through this. God's not just standing with us so we can endure this. He's not standing with us just so we can all be okay. God is standing with us because we have a mission. God is standing with us because we have the message of life. He is standing with us because there are so many more people who need to be added to the roll call of heaven. 
You know, when I was in college on the first day of classes, the teacher would generally read off a list of names of people who should be in the class. And the teacher would say, if I don't call your name, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) And I can remember multiple times when someone's name would be called and they would turn to me and ask, what course is this? (laughs) Only to find out they were in the wrong room. You know, Jesus teaches us that there's this roll call coming one day. It's a roll call in heaven. There's gonna come a day when names will be read in heaven. You know, Jesus tells a story like this and it's written by Luke. And at one point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus sends his disciples out two by two to to do ministry, to go and help people. He wants them to go out and do the things that he's trained them to do. And when the disciples come back from doing ministry and they regather, they're so excited because they've seen God do some amazing things. They've amazed themselves, in fact, by by what God had done. And God did more than they could ever have anticipated. So they begin to tell Jesus excitedly about all the miracles they saw happen at their hands. And Jesus says these words. He says, don't rejoice in this, these miracles, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, Jesus is painting this picture of this roll call in heaven, that there's this scroll that will be unrolled And in it, people's names will be written in red. These names are the names of people who heard the message of Jesus, who followed Jesus, who asked him to forgive them of their sins, who turned to Jesus for life. And Paul says, this is the reason God stood and strengthened him. Paul says, God stood by him so that he might proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Now in Paul's context, the word Gentile simply means non-Jew. But in a broader context, Gentile means everybody, all people, that everybody deserves to hear the words of Jesus. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your financial status. It doesn't matter your addiction. It doesn't matter your sin. It doesn't matter your habits. It doesn't matter your personality. It doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter your marital status. It doesn't matter if you rent or own. Jesus is for you. And our mission is to elevate the name of Jesus so that as many people as possible can have their names written and called at the roll call in heaven. You know, when my sister was in high school, she tried out for this dance team. And and the way you found out if you made the team was that they posted your name on a classroom window at the high school. Now, I was in middle school and I was a little impulsive, so impulsive that I ran up to see if her name was on the list before she did. And because her name was on the list, I ran back so excited and told her, you made it, you made it, you made it. Listen, and when people that we know and love make the team, when they have their name listed somewhere, man, we get excited for them. When, when your kids make something or do something great, man, or your spouse or your roommate, man, when they have something good happen, we get so, so, so excited. Can you imagine how excited you would feel, how gratified you will be when we get to heaven and there are people whose names you hear called, whose names are on the roll sheet, because of you. Can you anticipate their excitement, your excitement, when your neighbor's name is called because of you? Can can you imagine the satisfaction you'll experience when you hear the name of your sister? Can you just envision the joy that everyone will have when you hear the name of your best friend? There will be people who experience life and who experience freedom and who experience forgiveness and purpose, whose name will be called during the roll call in heaven because of you. When we come back together, we will be more effective simply because we are more effective in this mission when we are together. Let's pray. 
God, we know that you have this roll call in heaven and that you want everybody to to participate for everybody's name to be listed. And God, that you want all of us to follow you. And God, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that has such a clear, focused, sharp vision. And so God, I pray that as we prepare to come back, as we think about what it looks like, that we would be getting, getting ready, that our hearts would be getting have this sense of urgency to accomplish the mission. God, we would realize that we're sent to do more than just sit, but we're sent to make a difference, God. And and I pray, Lord, that through this time, we would just have fallen more and more in love with you. And God, for people who don't know you, for people who are broken, for people who are without life, for people who are in darkness, God, that we'd be a place of light. We'd be a place of refuge. We'd be a place of restoration. God, we love you. We just lift up the name of Jesus and pray that through everything that we do, Jesus would be elevated. It's in his name that we pray, amen.